0: It's a community. It's something that, you know, I went up and I fell in love with it because of community. And it's something that you don't see anywhere except for in Northern communities. Like I arrived there and like people took me in, they helped me, they shared, like, I was like, Oh, like, were you, how was the hunt? All this stuff. Like they, they're like, would you like a bite? Like they started cutting up the, the Norwell muktuk, the skin and they gave it to me to try hung out with me when they thought they knew i was by myself on the sea ice like no you don't have a gun you don't have a knife like with you until someone come when your team comes back or like you know they're like super friendly they're like oh the fishing derby just came in you should go and grab some fish it's for everybody it's there's issues in the north but there's also a very, very warm community. And it's not just in, you see it with the humans, obviously, within Inuit communities, but it, it's overall. Like, overall, like you see the food chain and everything and how everything relies on everybody. Living organism there has a role. So losing one organism is, it has huge impacts.
1: Welcome to season 2 episode 21 in the year of 2021 with conservationist and photographer Jenny Wong. My name is Bjorn. I'm your host in 2012 I moved from Germany to the US and after 9 years of moving along the east coast I'm now graduating this spring. Not that it took 9 years for me to finish my bachelor, it did seem long. During last year's lockdown, I started this podcast to explore new passions, mindsets, and careers, and it has been an adventurous journey. It's a great creative outlet for me, and I really, truly love it. Let me introduce you to today's guest. Jenny tells stories with her photography from the wild with a big heart for conservation and shedding light on the beautiful but troubled wildlife of her home canada the arctic and beyond she's part of the royal canadian geographical society and seeks to spread awareness about the front lines and last lines of climate change the arctic when i think of the arctic i think of a vast amount of ice snow strong winds and cold water and sadly the only thing you hear is that it's melting and creates imbalance in our lives the conversation with jenny really helped reframe the reality of the arctic condition and how the animals are influenced by them conversation also has themes of community we explore the direct correlation between the well-being of polar bears and us and what drives change we also talk about the little passion projects we started during the pandemic before we dive right in a great way to help this podcast is to subscribe maybe share it with some friends if you want to check us out on instagram you can follow us at as they say pod we're right back with the wonderful jenny Wong. what's
2: his name Byron. as they say keep it simple well beard as they say only <laughs> <laughs> One of the ones that always looks laugh. It
0: would probably be hike your own hike. Well, Bjorn, as they say. Time willy-nilly. As they say, Bjorn.
1: Can you John Hancock this? As they
0: say.
1: Don't get all up in your world. What the most nix los. As they say. Your photography often, you know, highlights wildlife and often the endangered species. But... I think it's also interesting to see it from a photography perspective and you being so much in the Arctic, I would love to uh, find more out about who you are, who, um, you know, why the Arctic is such a, uh, has such a special place in, in your work and, um, yeah, yeah, around that and climate change. And today, you know, 30 minutes ago, we, we had in the U S we have a new president.
0: Yeah. Yes. It's <laughs> like new day but um you know like a new president isn't going to change everything like no problems that we had in the last four years in america existed before trump it was just that he brought it to to the surface and you know a new president can mean change but it means that he needs to be accountable for
2: creating mm-hmm.
0: being part of that change right so um he has had a lot of promises for you know conservation for climate change but we as a community need to hold him accountable for it and keep Mm. on remind him that you know we're watching and you know you said you're gonna do this so you know i hope it's on your agenda today
1: (laughs) for one uh, i hope it goes back into the the U.S. goes back into the Paris Agreement. Yeah.
0: Um, so, like, it's it's definitely in their best interest right now, um, in my opinion, like, just to get back on board with relationships around the world. I think after all the bad publicity in the U.S. over the last year that has been really, really bad with COVID and the riots and in the capital like i think they Mm. need good pr and um on top of that like just amend some relationships
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i i um work at a restaurant as a part-time job to um pay the bills while i study and a lot of the people are were like yeah i would consider going to canada (laughs) after uh all everything that has happened in the past couple months
0: but like I love Canada and I don't want to say anything bad about Canada, but you know, like a lot of the issues that they talk about in the U S or that has really come to surface in the U S isn't isolated to the U S right. This extreme right has been popping up everywhere, including Germany, including, you know, like Canada, anywhere in the world, extreme, right? Crazy conspiracy, right. Mm. I think the difference is, you know, how vocal people are and how vocal people how comfortable people are about being vocal about it versus in the us with trump because he has no filter and he believes in the stuff and he fortifies it these people are given strength to speak up about it but mm-hmm. it, it is better in the sense that people aren't acting about it like they're not actively um they know what's right and wrong that they can lose a job if they they harass someone because of their color race or sex like that's not acceptable in canada you can lose your job but when
1: Mm.
0: it doesn't lose his job over it why do it in the us right right um like i think the mentality and and those underlying issues are always there i think it's something that we're just always going to have to work on It in everything
1: yeah yeah i mean that's the same thing i hear about germany too um but i do i do get the most momentum out of the like like the momentum that people are like we have to do something i through social media and the internet a lot comes out of things that are happening here and then people are like we need to change something but you're with your with your work you're trying to um, also, I guess, create awareness to go towards a more positive change. And I, I mean your posts and I, I love all of them because um, the way you write is just uh, it's just really well done, I think, and super well thought out. Starting out, I was wondering when you start with photography, uh, did you already know a lot of, about wildlife or... How did that happen? Or did you, did you already before know a lot about wildlife? And then you said, I need to have a a camera.
0: (laughs) I think it just started with travel. So for me, I've always loved traveling. I think that's always been a dream. I'm from generations of refugees from Mm. China to Vietnam and then Canada. So I'm like the first generation that really never had to move really. So seeing the world was always a dream and it's always been a big part of my family to either road trips or big expeditions like we just love moving around and um you know like when you travel a lot Mm. camera comes right and eventually you know that camera becomes a bigger part of your travels and it wasn't really you know wildlife really didn't really become part of my thing in terms of photography I've always loved wildlife um, until I went to Africa, and I, I saw the gorillas and like, you know, that moment when I got to sh- like be so close to 40 gorillas surrounded and like look them in the eye. And it just changes you like it, it changes how you look at animals in the mm. world and everything. Uh, but still, like I never really took it that seriously. It was just kind of something that happened. Um, about two to three years ago just met some friends that were like oh you know let's go on trips and they're very serious photographers and I just became you know more and more serious about it but they were all landscape guys and and my passion has always been wildlife uh-huh. after gorillas like I went to Antarctica I wanted to see penguins it's, oh it, was, it has always been animals first yeah like I started the social media thing mostly based on hiking and and stuff like that in wild places with my friends. And then it became a thing for wildlife when I started like Uh kind of blending it in. And as you can see, it is kind of everywhere. It it has like the landscape piece and it has the wildlife Mm -hmm. piece, which I'm grateful for. If you want to do conservation for wildlife, like the number one cause of extinction is habitat loss. So if you can't take pictures of an environment, of a scenery, a grand scenery, and make it compelling for people to take interest not just in an animal but in its environment then it becomes really hard Mm. to save that habitat right so to have that skill set i guess to to shoot landscape
1: i mean you've been to uh i think you've been to pretty much all continents except australia yeah pretty much how long did that take you was that um after your africa africa trip and you said oh i need to see um every single continent more or uh how because you love i i you love to seek adventure and um these crazy environments
0: it's never been like i've never been the type of person to count Mm. how many countries i've been to or count like a lot of people save antarctica to be their seventh continent so they can step foot on that continent and you know put up their seven fingers but um for me it was always about You know, I have a lifetime, one lifetime, and I'm not young, I'm 37 now. So as you age, there's things that you, there's certain things that you can do at a certain age, and then there's limitations on your mental capacity, your financial capacity, your physical capacity, and those things change from your twenties to your thirties, to your forties, to your fifties and above. So do I love, you know, going to Italy and eating my heart out? Absolutely. But <laughs> those things can definitely wait till I'm unable to, you know, bear the cold and hike a mountain and, you know, sit for hours waiting for a polar bear to get up. It, those things can wait until another day, right? So there's, I've kind of prioritized more my travel based on activities, like what mm-hmm. my capability mental capacity is to to actually achieve that right now and something mm. that can till later
1: i i have, right now i have extremely uh what's it called itchy feet i guess where you want to to leave the and see the world yeah sometimes as a, as a young person you i often i you don't realize i mean there will be more opportunities but it's just sometimes i question there's some there's some things where i'm like oh i would Actually, I would love to see it, but in some ways, I'm also in the back of my head. I'm thinking it shouldn't that wildlife should be kind of I don't want anyone there, right? So there's yeah. this there's this dilemma between you know flights to this remote uh, area of the world is probably not going to be the best best uh, I don't know for for the planet, but then for me, it's a great experience. So that's always a, like something I often think about
0: one of the things that i do which not everybody can is like is give yourself time right like so if you're gonna fly somewhere don't fly there for three days four days and it's Mm -hmm. not always feasible like going to the arctic a lot of people are restricted with itinerary that are only a week if you can make it longer make it worthwhile but the other aspect is why are you up there like Give yourself a reason, a good reason outside of your selfish, cruel experience reason. All right, I'm going to go and get these images or I'm going to get, you know, have this amazing experience. Yes, but make sure you share it in an impactful way that benefits the world. Right. Mm. Allow people to that can't have that experience to fall in love with the wild a little bit more to allow issues that you see with conservation or awareness campaigns that you can use your images your work to fortify to help those causes then use that do that i'm not saying don't do anything with your life for fun (laughs) but you know like when you are having this when that thing and it's awesome that you think about that um because i do and And when you do think about those things, it's it's you can make something out of it. You know, Mm. don't when you come from somewhere that isn't just about yourself, I think. Yeah. Right. You find a purpose and truly like to to do some of these expeditions and to continue to pursue these expeditions. It's mentally draining. It it can be financially draining. It can be it's a it's a lot. Mm. Yeah. and so, when you don't have that purpose and drive, it becomes really, really hard to, to plow forward all the time.
1: Right, right. The why is everything I think to to almost everything we do. And too often we're like, oh, what can I get? With you being being uh, in in Canada, how have you seen? Because, like you said, sometimes when you take photos of um, like polar bear, uh, polar bears or Arctic foxes. And you're there for a while, and you probably have your spots where you often go a, a bunch of times. How do you, have you ever had a moment where you really experienced kind of climate change be- just because you have gone there repetitively?
0: Yeah. So I have, okay, so the high Arctic, I have only been once, and Churchill, I have only been once. Hmm. But have I seen it? The reason why I went up to the Arctic, the high Arctic, to begin with was to shoot that, was to shoot that front line, um, the front lines of climate change and to show people, A, how beautiful it is and how delicate it is, how delicate it actually looks and how large of a habitat that really is for so many people and animals. Um, And when I was there, I experienced it because I had to rely on that ice. I was traveling 400 miles on on sea ice i was sleeping on the sea ice wow and so for two weeks like that like you your your feet fall through the ice you look at these massive cracks that you have to jump your snowmobile over like those moments you feel vulnerable to your environment and you feel every degree is going to make a difference in survival Mm. today if you will complete today's commute, if you're and it, it, it was true, like we our very last lead, which is a crack in the ice to jump over. We were warned that it was going to be really bad. And when we got there, it was really bad. Uh, uh. We made it over. We went up and down the crack until we can find a place. And it was maybe the area we jumped was maybe five feet of just open yeah, and then having to make your sled over that, right? Pulling another sled in the back that I'm sitting in. Wow. So um, the next day or two after we went to that same place where we jumped and that entire crack was a gaping ocean. Like in, you cannot see ice, like where the ice ended and then where you couldn't see ice beyond that anymore. So that, was that
1: your way back?
0: No, we, there was no way because we were going in the spring so um we're there to see the flow edge and by the time that season ends all the ice would have been gone like hmm. able and unable so everybody that moves that way has to fly back
1: Wow um,
0: but yeah, you, you can see climate change and um like even in Alberta right now the Rivers have already broken up. Like some of the rivers that are typically frozen in January are already having a spring breakup.
1: That, that's that's the thing. I think when people think about Canada, it's this in winter in in, in uh, spring and summer it's this beautiful, beautiful place. But then in the winter, um often people think, Oh, it's everything is just cold and white, which I experienced I was in Ottawa. I um I told uh Ray, Ray uh that too when I was in Ottawa that it was just so freezing cold in April, or I think we were there in, yeah, I think we were there in, in March or April. That, that, that was the experience I had of, of Canada. And, uh, I, I love the cold, but that was a bit much. Yeah, but to, to go back to your experience, that it, it's good to experience, not good to exp, it's good to experience to have another realization of how fast and how, um, how big of an impact um, climate change has, not just because you said you're there and you have, you know, you rely on the ice. So the polar bear has also the, how we impact the polar bear hurts, you know, us too. Like there's a connection between. Absolutely.
0: Like a world without polar bears means a world without, like with poor sea ice. And with that, Mm. that means like that would impact almost every biome on our planet because of the ocean. Like, unlike which is a massive continent, the Arctic Ocean is water. So when that biome changes from ice to water and it continues to warm, it those warming and cooling cycles affects not just the air that is causing polar vortexes over Canada and the US, but also in the ocean from the Atlantic to the Pacific and beyond, right, because of currents. So it would change so many different biomes and it, if they can't survive, it's questionable. Like what other species are going to be vulnerable to the impacts of where we are at with climate change. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the polar bears, what I didn't know either was that there were Marine animals that, that was the video you shared where you went to the international, the polar international office and. I mean i guess it makes sense you know they're um they're they're on the ice to go hunt and then what fascinated me too what i you know didn't really think about is the time that they have to fast extends and i think there was something like when you go to the 70s it was maybe like 100 days and now it's like in the
0: 120
1: kind
0: of days yeah so like that's one of the impacts like i mean it's the largest land predator that we can have left that, that we have. It's the largest predator kind of thing on mm. land that can roam on land and having it part-time on land when there's no sea ice already has its issues from like remote communities to other species um, being eaten <laughs> or attacked mm. or, you know, it, it's a, big animal, and even if you can assume, even if you can assume that they can survive somehow, their caloric intake per day is huge. So where are they gonna get in the Arctic where things don't grow very readily? It's a rainforest, right? Um, Where are they gonna get that caloric intake? Now you're looking at these species of migratory birds and their, their eggs that could decimate population if polar bears are like, yeah, let's just eat eggs. Eggs. Let's just go and eat people. (laughs) Let's go. So, you know, like for a short season of our part-time predator on land is already causing problems. Now, if you have it as a full-time predator, like the ecological impact on, on land is on the ecology of a place would change completely. Um and also hmm. like you will have more conflict between humans and bears, which never ends well for a bear.
1: Right. Yeah. So right there you can again see like the connection. Um there's just I guess there's just something we don't we don't really see for humans it often seems like something has to happen in order for us to realize what we're doing wrong and then you're right the animals are in the end are the ones that are going to be i don't know shot because they're close to a family's home or so it's terrifying
0: yeah it's terrifying because like it's something that we've always been Mm -hmm. reactionary creatures we're not proactive creatures so we 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 see a problem that we can't live with and then we try to solve Mm it like we find that, you know, there's too many humans and we need other sources of food. So then we GMO food and we produce like more efficient ways of farming that might take down some habitat. Stuff like mm. that, right? You're looking at climate change. It's not something that we can be reactionary about anymore. We have been reactionary and it's it needs to stop and just be proactive to just stop it stop per, like we need to prevent it from getting worse mm-hmm. right need to just react and be like all right like it can wait like let's see what happens you can't wait and see what happens because by the time you wait and see what happens there's going to be a lot more happening in the, in the coming because it's baked in and you don't see it for like years mm-hmm. right like in my day's impact or this year's impact is negligible to to the accumulation of like 100 years of industrial revolution, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what, I don't know if you've read the report, but so through COVID, we like reduced our carbon emissions by like 7%. Mm -hmm. Significant, like globally, um, that had negligible amount of impact because CO2 stays in the atmosphere for 100 years. What is in the atmosphere has been an accumulation of 100 years. And we we reduced 7% in one year.
1: <laughs> That's right? not a lot. We
0: need to, yeah, it's not <sighs> a lot compared to what we've done already. So to prevent it from getting worse, we need to sustain like a reduction of a significant reduction carbon neutral mm. going forward, right? Cutting here and there and having these lockdown years and that's a scary thing it's like the world shut down and it still wasn't enough
1: right yeah i mean <laughs> i mean i wonder if we go back to renewable energies not go back but we move on to renewable energies because there's still so much investment in these um uh in in uh, carbon emissions and in uh in um non-renewable energies so I, I wonder how long that that would take. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see it getting better in 50 years, 60 years.
0: So I would say that like, if you look at the portfolio of like some of the large funds, like I think one of the most significant is like the Norway oil fund, mm-hmm. that is like the largest oil-based fund in the world and started divesting into, um, renewables. And so. I think the movement and the the movement is 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 getting there, and the financials are starting to line up to back up the renewables because the price of oil now and the demand for it it's it's low. So it doesn't necessarily make sense to expand or invest more into oil anymore. Mm. But when we can convert like more and more into renewables um, and more sustainable living with like the types of plastics that we're using and all that stuff, um the world the planet is is like an organism right it has its way of healing itself too so if we do our part we can hope that we're giving the planet its best opportunity to heal itself right Mm. and that's the issue is if we continue to perpetuate it's like like an addiction right you perpetuate an addiction um it's just going to spiral and climate change can be like that if we we've talked about you know, all these different cycles that can feed on each other and make things worse. Just like losing sea ice is going to make the oceans darker and absorb more heat yeah. and reflective property and all these things. So some things kind of perpetuate itself. But at the same time, if we do our part, hopefully the planet can build up those shields and those defenses against climate change by itself mm. as, as well. Like, and it has like like a lot of climate deniers are talk about the greenification of of our planet like the planet is greener than it was that's what it looks like um, it, it and and it's greener and it's true um they have seen that and they don't know how long and that can sustain for how long those sinks, like we call them sinks, right? They're CO2 sinks. Okay. They can absorb and like our trees, like planting trees are are great for reducing and bettering the, um, the environment. But how long can those sinks function for and help us, mm.
2: right?
0: You know, Antarctica has been reflecting. Um, trees do absorb CO2. Things, there are things that work you know the ocean traps co2 too Mm. and like our tundra it traps co2 in in the arctic but if we don't allow it the chance to to not just break even or you know at this point right now those natural defenses are kind of falling behind climate change right like it's climate change is almost leapfrogging nature's ability to control itself Mm. to balance itself when we do our part hopefully that's what i'm hoping <laughs> is that planet can can
1: restore gain
0: it's almost like yeah gain its immune system back and and start working towards like being a little bit healthier yeah. and-
1: but what, what's the consensus like i wonder what it's like in in canada is it um very uh divisive this kind of discussion
0: i would say that majority of it, it really depends on your age i think mm. your demographic yeah. uh, where you live so in alberta i would say that this is probably the product that denies climate change the most or i shouldn't say denies climate change a lot of people i think in canada believes that the climate is changing we see it every day mm. But human-caused climate change is the, the controversial piece. Are we the ones causing climate change or is it just the cycle of the earth? And so I find that the majority of people I talk to believe that how can 8 billion people not have impact? Like this is just a common, common consensus is even if you don't know anything about climate mm-hmm. change, you know, nothing about environmental anything impact there's 8 billion, almost 8 billion humans. Right. Over 95% with our livestock and everything of the planet's biomass on, on land do mm-hmm. really not have this impact, right? Um, like, there are people, though, that I find from discussions, there's some very religious people that mm-hmm. believe that, you know, because God gave Earth to humans, that this planet can sustain the glories of human expansion right that you know it it's fine like it it's it's paradise it's amazing it's you know it was made for us and it's a special place right it's unique and it's always going to be because god created it and in my mind i think like you know in i'm not a very religious person but Mm -hmm. i would think any god gave you a gift gave you a planet gave you something so special and you trash it right that is like the largest disrespect to whatever god you believe in i mean in every context they talk about a god giving this planet to us (laughs) if that's your context stop trashing it
1: yeah, right? it's it's so it's so uh, disrespectful, and like even now, it just I think w- with people, I mean even today you see people just throwing trash, you know, on the highways or wherever you go, or it happens everywhere. When it comes to uh, living more more sustainable, do you believe that it starts with the people first or with you know policies being s- set in place?
0: So the most powerful is obviously policy, mm-hmm. right? as policy dictates industry, dictates, um, you know, sustainable materials, land use, protected like wild spaces, all those things, industry. But it's twofold too, right? Because it's the people that vote in the policies and vote in the government that is going to put in these policies. The people that want to vote this in need to believe in it. And when you believe in it, then your lifestyle choices change. Mm right? So, and not everybody's extreme, but being conscious of it, like, if you truly care about having a planet for future generations, for children, for when I look at my niece, I want her to be able to see a polar bear one day, you know? Um, Yeah, like, is it worth it for me to be plant-based? Why not? Mm -hmm. You know, like, am I gonna, like, kill myself over, Milk being in my bread or eggs? No. But am I going to make a conscious choice of trying? Yes. Mm. Right? Buy a product? Am I going to look at if there's palm oil in it? Or am I going to look at do I need another piece of Gore (laughs) Tex? You know, like we're in such a consumer based um, society, and that's all we do is continue to consume and throw out. Mm. There's a lot of things that we can do and it, it's not even just climate change, but like, just trash, pollution, garbage, like I say, trash in the world, mm. right? But all for these, like, things that we think we need, right? How many Gore-Tex jackets do I need that are never going to degrade? It, yeah. <laughs> and when I die, that Gore-Tex jacket is going to be in a landfill somewhere, right. <laughs> you know? One is plenty. Uh-huh. You don't need, you don't need 20 right and if you do if you choose to have another one look at buying a secondhand one and and you know financially it's amazing right like i'm a big you know like big advocate for buying secondhand anything all my camera gear is pretty much secondhand oh really yeah and like i like will scout like financially it's it's smart there's a lot of people that buy things that don't want it and like if they can't sell it, they're gonna throw yeah. it out because they need they need to clean out their house. So why not? Right? Um you save yourself money and you know you don't always need the newest hottest thing. Mm. Buy things that last, buy things that you love, you know. I think we've lost that in our culture. If you talk to maybe your grandparents or even your parents' generation when they bought something. It was something that meant something to them right you know like something that they treasured like an, a shirt uh yeah we buy a laptop and we tre- we treasure that because we spent a few thousand dollars on it or something but in our parents generation or our grandparents generation when they bought a shirt they loved that shirt yeah it wasn't a shirt that they wore for a season and throughout
1: yep i saw my my grandfather he has this um he used to be a soccer player and he had this adidas jacket and i think it's now 50 years old i i, I had to take it i had to
0: <laughs> that's the thing is like you buy something you love and it sticks with you because part of you yeah. right and people like you Associated as you know your grandpa for one, but it's super
1: cool. Mm, It's super retro.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's super cool. It's super retro. Uh, Like, what's the point of buying this disposable fashion? I mean, you can, other than the emotional attachment that you have with this your this Adidas jacket, you can go into a thrift shop, and find really cool finds like Mm. that, right? Yeah. Um. So I mean, back to sustainable living. Like, there's a there's a cultural divide, I guess, with what it is that we want and buy and like what society is kind of pushing on us to to continue to buy and consume. Um, mm. uh, that in itself is, doesn't work as sustainable or great for our environment. Yeah.
1: Are you, are you, you mentioned pre, uh, previously plant-based, are you a vegetarian or, or plant-based?
0: So when I'm on the road, I'm pretty flexible, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, the only thing that I really try to stay away from is beef. I've, I don't touch beef mm-hmm. typically when I'm home, I'm plant-based, 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 no milk, no eggs, no cheese, no bread. Typically, unless I make it at home because.
1: Oh really? What kind what kind of bread do you make?
0: Um, it's just simple, like roti and stuff, because like all it is, is flour and a little bit of oil and water eh? to make roti. Ah. Like um, Indian, like, chapatis and stuff.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, but, yeah, or sourdough or something like that, you, if you're really ambitious. But I don't eat too yeah. much bread anyways. Um, but, yeah, like, if I buy stuff in the store, typically it would have eggs
1: hmm.
0: or um, milk in it, like dairy in it. So I typically stay away from a lot of breads.
1: <laughs> oh, good. I, I love bread. I, I um... I'm like a hobby sourdough uh baker i just i i just make it and um give it to i always make a little bit extra and give it to some give it to friends because i just i enjoy the process of it but in the result yeah i eat too much bread <laughs>
0: <laughs> but i'm i'm like super surprised like there's so many people that struggle with their starter like alive
1: so uh i love this how where this is going um i (laughs) so it's with the with flowers so i actually do something that's kind of it's like renewable so first you you have a starter and you leave it you know for three days and you start feeding it until it gets a little bit reliable and then once you actually start making a loaf what i do is when you do the leave-in so let's say it's. 400 grams altogether. you take you you uh dump your old starter and put the 200 200 grams of your leave-in and reuse it and then use that same leave-in feed it as your new starter and Uh, you know kind so that way it's a little bit um
0: so you're not using the same guy again you're using yeah exactly
1: and plus you can use the old. Um, so if you don't want to throw it away, you can and sourdough um, or a mature starter. You can just fry it in a pan, and it's delicious.
0: Oh, cool! Yeah, I'm not <laughs> a I'm not a big baker person, but I don't know. Like it, I guess. Like everybody had their like little COVID thing. A lot of people did bread, and I did mushrooms.
1: Oh, really? That's cool.
0: So I started like growing mushrooms.
1: Oh, great! <laughs>
0: Um, it was, it just became like this thing where, um, you know, like we went back to like sustainability, like buy local, buy produce that comes from nearby. And I was like, okay, well, why not grow my own mushrooms? Mm-hmm. And because you're on plant-based, I eat a lot of mushrooms. Mm. We're like oyster mushrooms at home. And, uh, yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah, It's so rewarding because they double in size every day.
1: Yeah, they grow super. I mean, so you have like a little little baby every <laughs> that you help that you grow.
0: Yeah, it's super fun.
1: I love it. I um don't want to take too much time from you. I mean, this interests me so much, and I um uh, I always am intrigued and um, about nature and uh, the Arctic, especially because there's really not a lot I know about it, and I hope that I get to visit it before it's well. Hopefully, it doesn't happen before it's all water, Yes. Um, but I was wondering if you ever had a special encounter with an animal. Um, I mean, you did talk about the gorilla, but I meant um, like in the Arctic, if there's ever like something that was really close that happened.
0: I think every encounter is always special and different in its own way. But when it came to polar bears per se, or, um, and narwhals, it was like my first time you know, up in the north and we were seeing narwhals and belugas. We were just standing there on the flow edge and my guy just says like, don't move because they can hear your feet through the ice mm. into the water. Right. You can feel that vibration. So, you know, we just stood as still as we could and we saw narwhals come and it was breathtaking and then belugas and then the belugas swam. Like, if you can imagine me standing at the edge of the ice, he swam right underneath my feet.
1: (laughs) Was that scary or beautiful or beautiful before?
0: Like, it just takes you by surprise because the water looks black, Mm. right? So dark and cold. And um, when it came so close and it's at that surface and you can see him, you can see that white body, kind of white green body go right underneath the ice. And you're and it was it happened so fast, and we're all just shocked, just shocked that it even came that close to us, right? Um, and then the other time that I had a crazy experience up there was I was lying in the snow photographing a bear that was eating, mm-hmm. and I was with my friends who actually camped with that bear beside them. <laughs> what so yeah so i was like going to say goodbye to these guys because i was leaving the sea ice that day and i see the bear i'm like oh do you guys mind they're all hunters uh-huh. so they're all um, out there hunting seal so i'm like oh do you mind if i take some pictures and they're like go ahead have fun they're just you know um enjoying their coffee waiting for seals to show up and so i get on my stomach and i'm lying there maybe 30 feet from this bear inside of my friend's camp pretty much right like i'm in between maybe an oil can thing like a gasoline jug and like a a snowmobile kind of thing is maybe at my Mm. feet and i'm almost shooting this bear and i was like oh man i wish he He would just look up at me because he's just got his face inside of a (sighs) narwhal and he looks at me and then he starts walking towards me
2: oh gosh
0: I was like, oh, and you know, I'm not even standing, right? I'm like lying there. And I'm like trying to go back like mission missionary position back backwards. And I'm like screaming at my friends and they look over and they're like, oh, my God. I'm like, guys, you want Chinese food. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they scream at the bear and the bear just kind of walked around us in a way (laughs) and i was
2: like
1: he doesn't care (laughs) that you're there
0: but that is that is life up there and um i think a lot of foreigners that come up that would see something like that they'd be like oh why why would that interaction ever happen well these people live with bears Mm. right the inuits share the ice with the bears they share the arctic with the bears it's unavoidable if you set up a camp they smell you they come they can be curious you know um they come into communities because of the smells and they're curious
2: Mm.
0: and it's difficult to judge until you really experience that for yourself and understand that you know can we avoid them like these people that live up there or tourism or whatever are we getting too close are we are we i don't agree with chasing down an animal but when it comes to like seeing something like that in, in the Arctic, it's, it's common. Like a, there's a bear, there's a narwhal that the Inuits might've hunted and they took, they already harvested like the skin, which is what they eat. Mm. They've left the body for the bear to eat. Yeah. So you an in Inuit um, camp and you'll see a bear right there. But at the same time, they know their limits. Usually, and they respect each other, right? But I think from an outside perspective of not understanding that dynamic, um, and sometimes it can go wildly wrong, and that's why it's an issue mm. with human-animal conflict. But it's kind of how it's its their lifestyle. It's the bear's lifestyle as well as, as it's the Inuit's lifestyle.
1: Mm. Well, I guess the Inuits are also a lot more connected and appreciative right of of their surrounding right or like giving back maybe g- giving back to uh nature and living because i i mean they're aware
0: yeah like I mean, so nowadays a lot of the inuits don't um they don't need the fat from seals and whales to light their homes to warm their homes mm. right this is something like back in the day they had lamps that would run on and that would provide heat for them so that they don't freeze. But nowadays they don't need that because they have heated homes. Yeah. <laughs> right? So they leave they leave caches out for for whoever else is going to use mm. it. It could be fox. it could be crows, it could be bears. And they leave the their hunts like the the blubber that they're not going to eat or the the animal the parts of the animals that they're not going to eat. They leave it out on the sea ice for other animals to eat it's it's an environment that's not like you know the rainforest where there's food everywhere Mm. like you drop a seed it grows it's an environment where food scarcity for animals and food scarcity for people is sometimes an issue like you're not going to find things growing year-round there that you can harvest and it's it's not like antarctica and you you show up and there's millions of of penguins everywhere, right? Year round kind of thing. Um, it's it's desolate. Mm. So having that cooperation and like you'll see even Arctic foxes follow bears so that if a bear gets the a kill, they might get a bite mm. or crows cooperate with our ravens and crows that will circle a prey like a seal hole to signal for a bear to be like, there's a seal here. So if a bear kills that seal, that crow is going to get a meal too. Mm. That's kind of the interesting dynamics that I think you get to see when you're up there. Uh, yeah, It's a community. It's something that, you know, I went up and I fell in love with it because of community. And it's something that you don't see anywhere except for in northern communities. Mm. Um, like I arrived there and like people took me in. They helped me. They shared, like, I was like, oh, like, you, how was the hunt? All this stuff. Like, they, they're like, would you like a bite? Like, they started cutting up the the narwhal muktuk the skin, and they gave it to me to try. Hung out with me when they thought they knew I was by myself on the uh... sea ice. Like, no, you don't have a gun. You don't have a knife, like, with you until someone comes, when your team comes back or, like, you know, they're like super friendly. They're like, oh, the fishing derby just came in. You should go and grab some fish. It's for everybody. There's issues in the North, but there's also a very, very warm community. And it's not just in, you see it with the humans obviously within Inuit communities, but it's overall, like overall, like you see the food chain and everything and how everything relies on everybody
2: mm.
0: living organism there has a role so losing one organism is it has huge impacts mm. i think
1: yeah i would love to witness it sometime selfishly um <laughs> uh and 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 actually spend some time some time there uh, when i have the chance i want to wrap the, wrap this conversation i was with you I have two questions i always ask at the end um one is do you work to live or do you live to work
0: uh i i work to live for sure uh-huh it's all about if i can't have the experiences that make life wonderful then what's the point of working mm. i work definitely to live
1: yeah yeah it's he, here in the u.s it seems like very much like living to work um in many like in many ways we kind of get uh stuck and i i'm asking as my european like in europe it's also very much they do what they have to do they do their duties and then after like i'm going to spain <laughs> yeah. or to italy and have the amazing food um so lastly so the podcast is called As I say, so I'm saying this uh, at the end, I teach a German slang phrase or like a saying. And in exchange, I was wondering if you can think of any saying um, that stuck out to you that you could teach me. I can start. I can start too. You start. All right. I have a a saying it translates to to tie someone up with a bear. What do you think does that what do you think does that mean?
0: To tie someone up with a bear.
1: Mm-hmm. Crazy. It does sound crazy. Germans are crazy.
0: To put someone in a bad situation.
1: It means telling lies. So the background is basically someone said, okay, I'm going to, I tied someone to a bear, which is impossible. So therefore it became like, it became a saying saying, if, if you were to do this, that that would be impossible because you're either Dead or hurt, or um, whatever it is. But that became a saying. So it means not telling the truth, Mm. putting a situation as otherwise. And in German, it's a jemanden einen Bären aufbinden.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Like, let's see a quote or a phrase. Oh, like create to inspire, I think. (laughs)
1: create inspire is that your motto
0: yeah like i think um i have a strong belief and I, I i've been actually doing a lot of talks about this lately is um about creating so like when we're creators podcast um artists there's something about just this community and it it's it goes back to like commercialism and and just instant gratification of just creating something pretty and as creatives and as it has to be a little bit more than that, you know, pretty pictures don't inspire people. You know, it has to be more than that. It has to have something to say. And art should always have something to say. It should communicate emotions, feelings. It should communicate awareness. Um, whatever it is that you need to say, use your art, use your creativity to say it. And hopefully it will resonate with someone because when it comes to art, I think that you can say things that words alone can't say, right? You inspire, it it speaks to the heart and soul to, to your viewer and in that way it can inspire them to either do the same or better.
1: Well, uh, Leslie, how can people reach you out uh, over email? Do you have a website or?
0: Yeah, I have a website. It's www.gen, with two N's, wong.com. Um.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for giving me the chance to get to talk to you. I thought it was really enjoyed our conversation. And um, I love what you do. And I, I look forward to uh, what else you're going to share.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. It was super fun. Random sourdough topics, but awesome.
1: Yeah. All right. (laughs) I'm glad. No, I I, I embrace randomness. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Okay. All right, Jenny. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your evening. See ya. Thank you for making it all the way to the end. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Using your creativity to express yourself and it may resonate with someone. That's a great note uh, to end the episode. And, you know, it's really about the one person that you inspire. And that's a big change. You know, we get caught up in the growing our audiences. And I know that's ironic because I'm doing a podcast. And please subscribe, share and um, follow us on uh, whatever platform you're listening to i'm curious what does create to inspire mean to you has it ever happened to you why don't you share it with us at as I say pod on instagram follow us and uh yeah i look forward to it this conversation completely reshaped how i see the arctic jenny described a great visual of how it is in the arctic when you're there and i want to experience one day and don't want it to be melt molten 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 being there and seeing climate change right happen right in front of you if if that would happen to us more often Because I think we get comfortable and we're in our rooms, we're in our cities, and we don't necessarily see climate change happen right where we are. It uh, would definitely reshape our priority and the urgency of making a change. I mean, what does it take? Does it, in America, you have 14th, 15th, 16th, and 27th Street, and all of a sudden there's a polar bear? I think we should avoid that moment. Now make sure you uh, follow Jenny on Instagram, I have the description below. Thank you Jenny for giving me the chance to get to talk to you. I added another saying to my Björns Comprehensive Slang list, I have a note on my iPhone, whenever I hear a saying that interests me I take a note of it, and so I do this. I encourage you to do the same, maybe you know by the end of this month you have like 10 new sayings and just pay attention to what other people are saying and then ask them is this a slang is this a a socially socially accepted saying and then they say yes and then you write it down and by the end of it within a year i have five pages of sayings create to inspire and we'll see you in the next episode have a great rest of your day auf Wiedersehen